Yeah, I'm not impressed. It's just a funnel cake. It's just a funnel cake. So yeah, the Vignatis is just a funnel cake. I'm sorry. I'm I just got here. I respect y'all, the vignettes and all that. But in California, we just call them funnel cakes. So, well, that's just where we know them at. I tasted it. it. Tastes just like a funnel cake. So, that's all. But it's good though, if you like funnel cakes. Yeah, I'm not up on the latest trends when it comes to the diets of highly functional professional athletes. I wasn't aware that the funnel cake is on the menu, Chris. Uh, funnel cake and then baguettes, right? That's what we're talking in there, right? So beignets, beignets whatever beignets. it is, however you beignets. say it. Beignets. Yeah. Beignets. Right. Yes, beignets. I mean, I, I'm not an expert in that area, too, but, like, there's a difference there, right? It, it, I thought. I don't know. I'm not a, like a – Not much of one. No, not, not much, much of one. So he's on to something? No. No. Yeah, I mean – the beignet is like a larger item. The funnel cake is just like throw the dough into the fryer and it's kind of thin and it's all clumped together. But it's the same idea. It's taking dough and frying it and then putting so much powdered sugar on top of it that it becomes something that you can't resist. So yeah. it is basically a beignet basically is a funnel cake cooked a different way. I don't think there's any magic to the ingredients of the dough. There's no special taste. It's just fried bread with powdered sugar all over. Okay. Yep. It's great. I'm, I'm not up, knocking sure, it. Right. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. Uh, well, was he actually the, eating a beignet as he was doing that? Or I don't know if cake? he was, but the beignets, they're, they're more, they're more appealing looking. I'll say that and a little more like professional looking, just looking at the pictures there. Yeah. I, I think I prefer beignets over funnel cake. I'll say that right there. He, be, he better be careful. You know why? You know but, why? Why? I know why. Why? You like saying beignet. It, People like <laughs> saying beignet. It makes them feel sophisticated. Beignet. It, Especially because it's got that weird spelling. Does anyone know how to spell beignet? No, got, you just heard me. I just e, said baguettes. It's got an I. <laughs> it's got a G in it. Uh, it's, it's, spell, it's like hors d'oeuvres. Like, like. People like saying it because it's impossible to spell. So if we're going to deal with that word, better to say it than to try to actually put the letters together. But well, beignet, yeah. funnel cake. Friedi is the Italian version of the same damn thing. Same damn thing. All right. Now, well, the well, Friedis that I've had around here, they're yeah. fried a little, a little longer. They're a little darker. They're a little harder on the outside, a little crispier than the beignet or the funnel cake. But it's the same idea. You take a clump of dough, you put it in in you know really hot grease and you let you know nature do the rest yeah i, I mean yeah you can't go wrong with that formula but but yeah the, the, there is a difference between the beignets and the funnel cake the funnel cake is a little more sugary and sloppy as i'm sitting here and reading it right the beignet has has history it's from france okay it's a french pastry it's a little different the other one it's considered just a dessert. So there's got to be a little, and I'm looking at even the ingredients. The ingredients are su sweeter in the funnel cake, uh, which makes more sense. America, we like, you know, fat and sugar and everything else a little bit more there. But he better be careful. Like, he better be careful making fun of their food down there that, that, that's important to them. I, I learned that lesson before. I know that, Mike. I made, I made fun of some, like, the Texas twang a little bit down there in a press conference just like that a little. And, and of course, half my family's from Kentucky. And, man, I got backlash down there from people who thought I was, like, taking a low-blow shot at that. So you got to be careful about uh, attacking people's cultures. 
All I know is that they're all variations of a donut, and dessert is dessert. Now, if you have it with breakfast, does it make it dessert? No, because you don't have dessert with breakfast. Your breakfast is your dessert if you're having a beignet or a funnel cake or a friti or a donut. However, I am intrigued by this. I, I Now that we're both doing some real-time research, right. something that I had no idea we were going to be talking about, this is the ultimate wasted first 10 minutes when we have no freaking idea that this is going to be the subject. Beignet, and I'm going to read this straight from the always reliable Wikipedia. Beignet, a type of fritter or deep-fried pastry, possibly made from pâté à choux and called pets de non, which means nuns fart in French. Wow. But they also may be made from other types of dough. So they can be made from yeast dough or from nuns fart dough. I don't know which variation wow. would be more wow. would be more uh, pleasing to the palate. But I, well, it I've, got I've, my attention. It got my attention probably, not to use the I'm nun have, farts dough. <laughs> I, I'm, 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 I'm probably going to have flashbacks to when the nuns were uh, willing and able to provide instant retribution for any smart-ass six-year-olds that were acting up in class. But, uh, yes, the dough, the dough used to make one type of beignet is loosely known as nun's fart in French. It sounds better in French. Pets de non sounds much better than nun's fart, so I'll go with the English version in all in all instances. Okay, um, sounds good. Yeah, and, and, and hey, the Saints are going to get, and New Orleans is going to get, and everyone who pays attention to that team is going to get a full dose of Jamal Williams because that's the Jamal Williams experience. You sign that guy, and you don't know what the hell he's going to talk about, what he's going to say, how he's going to say it. He's very colorful. He's very personable. Remember he was interviewed after that game when the Lions beat the Packers to knock the Packers out of the playoffs, and he went from being all fiery and – and then he's like crying, and I mean, he's all. I mean, it's great. It's 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 very entertaining. He's very engaging. He's very fun. So, Saints fans, have some fun with your beignets, your funnel cakes, and Jamal Williams. Are you like a are you a dessert in the morning kind of guy? Like, a, you know, how do you how do you do that? Like, see, like there's a there is a sweet barrier for me a little in the morning. Right to where I think, like when I look at it and look at the ingredients, I think funnel cake would be a little too sweet in the morning. Where beignets, I could see like, all right, I had a little dab of like maple syrup in the morning with some bacon. I think can do it. I can't do like sugar, sugar in the morning. There's got like, there is a limit. There's a fine line there about how far I can go. What what I'll what I'll do for breakfast depends upon. A variety of factors, but not many. Number one, what's available in the house. Because depending upon what we have, that that directly influences my options. I'll, I'll eat like a, a sugar cookie with icing on it, hard icing, not soft. Got to be hard icing sugar cookie. There's a bakery locally that, that we get them from. If they're around, they're not around all that often, but I'll have that with a cup of coffee. Okay. Some mornings I'll make a couple of eggs, right? Yeah. I know one of your favorite one of your favorite. <laughs> staples the, the negative ghost uh, rider even though <laughs> yeah um and, and and it's funny because uh, look i at, at the age i'm at now i try to keep my weight during a very tight five pound range and i always do my weigh in at night right before i eat dinner and and that number from the night before always trickles into and influences my both my dinner choice and my breakfast choice so 
you know, I'll go, I'll maybe I'll go a little hardier if I'm where I, you know, the low end of where I try to stay. Maybe I'll, you know, maybe I'll I'll go easy. Maybe I'll just have so a you weigh yourself a daily. You're a daily weigher every day, and you're worried every about day. like you're. We, I don't. If you ate crap for a week, you you don't even eat that healthy as it is. You're not going to gain any weight. Uh, what are you worried about? Uh, uh, <laughs> I was at I was at the beach a few weeks ago, and uh, when I got back on the scale, when I got home, I was like, well, it was a good week. So well, like uh, what? How I good just, of the week? I, Tell me how good. How many pounds did we put on that week? Let me hear it. Probably five. Okay. Probably five. All right. That's nothing. But they're they're they're. They're gone again. Okay. But it's look, if I did not police myself, okay, I I'd I'd, I'd probably go two twenty five, two thirty. I because I just I you know, I like to eat, so I gotta be very rigid and disciplined, uh, so I don't overdo it. Because I would overdo it. Okay. I have overdone it. All right. I I I can't I was, even uh, picture that. Much larger than this at one point in my life. Yeah, I know um, you were a little. I, I've seen some pictures of a little chubbiness and some chubby cheeks, Mike Florio. Yeah, thank but, you. Thank but nothing you. like crazy. Uh, nothing to where I was like, oh man, he lost control there for a little while. Damn, he's bursting out of his, you know, his belt. <laughs> I never saw anything like that. Yeah, I, uh, I, I, I can eat. I can eat. So I have to. I have to keep the restrictor plate on uh, at all times. Um, but uh, hey, we'll be in Canton. The next couple of days, yeah. we'll have a couple of dinners, unless you, because you have a habit of not showing up. Oh, that's a bunch of bull crap. Shut up. When I'm there, I'm there. Yeah, that's a bunch of bull crap. It's a bunch of bull truth. <laughs> um, or when you do show up, you're more baked than anything that would come out of the oven. So it's one of the <laughs> well, other. <laughs> might be one of the other, right. <laughs> Only time I didn't show up is like when we do it, when we've done it here, where I'm like, you know, on a Saturday night during the season. Those are some times where I did I skirted out of wait, those. Yes. Wait. What? You mean on a Saturday night when a season when everybody else right. leaves their homes and travels to Connecticut exactly, and you live five minutes away from the studio exactly you can't infringe on the delicate genius on a Saturday night in the season when the rest of us have left our homes and traveled thousands of miles yeah. away to be in Connecticut. Yeah, cry me okay, a cry me a freaking river, Britney Spears over there, okay, and Justin Timberlake. All right, either way, no. I, I'm there. I'm here every day. Your ass gets here one day, and you want a party for yourself. Screw you. I got a family. It's my Sometimes it's my one day off, and I'm going to have that day off. I'm not going to go, hey, I've been at work all week, and, you know, on my day off, I want to go hang out with more work people one more time. That's what I want to do. So I'll, and then the next day we're with each other for what, eighteen hours? Like that's enough. I don't need to see you anymore. So yes, I, I you know draw a line in the sand on those Saturday night dinners a little bit. <laughs> you know what? You know what? I got two things to say. Number one, <laughs> you assume that I am a happy and willing participant every time. That <laughs> well, we buck up, you know Bart. Me well enough to know. <laughs> you know me. You know me well enough to know that there are occasions when I'm, you know, considering what illness might suddenly strike me as I'm getting <laughs> yeah, ready to leave do, the hotel. Yes. But I always come through. Secondly, right. when you put it that way, when I consider the fact that I have to listen to you for 18 hours on a Sunday, <laughs> I retract you. any and all pressure <laughs> okay. I'm applying on Good. you to show see, up on see. Saturday night. See, yeah, that's I'm doing you a favor. I'm just being afraid. You don't want to hear that. You don't want to be around me that much. You get exhausted of, of Chris Sims. We can't do that. So, But I'll be there this week. We're going to have fun, you know. 
I know there's like, you know, I heard maybe there's a chance we could do the show from the Hall of Fame on Thursday. We'll see. Yeah. It's been it's been floating out yeah, there. I'm hopeful. I'm trying great. to put the pressure on yeah, on great. Mike here on live oh, TV. Great. I know. I know. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they asked me about it yesterday. And once I knew that we had to get in a car and go a half hour each way, that's an hour of my day just lost so we can sit at the desk at the stadium at the Hall of Fame. At the Hall of Fame where the season started. We're going to be talking about Hall of Fame stuff that day. You got stuff prepared. We should be there on Thursday, not in a library at our hotel with the origami sheet and all that. Wait, wait. (laughs) What we have prepared, if we even do it, because I've kind of forgotten about it the past couple of days with, you know, my wife's injury and my reaction to the latest COVID booster. What we're going to do on the doorstep of the Hall of Fame is talk about how all the guys that are in there that shouldn't be in there should, you know, as we talk about the Deion Sanders upper room to the Hall of Fame, not that we're going to exclude any Hall of Famers, but we're we're potentially going to introduce the guys that we think would be in the Deion Sanders upper room. I don't know that that's I don't know that that's a suitable topic for the vicinity of the Hall of Fame. That's something that's more suited to a library setting, in my opinion. What? what? We're know. talking football about the Hall of Fame in the Hall of Fame, and we're going to be doing the pregame show at the Hall of Fame that day. We need to be there. Okay, that's right. And what are you worried about? What do you got like you? What are you worried about your weight and your underwear modeling contract? What are you twenty minutes in a car each way? So what? What do you got to do that day? We'll we'll go. We'll have fun. We'll get in the car. We'll come back. We'll be okay. We'll have fun still. Jeez, you're a curmudgeon, okay. you. <laughs> some some of us some of us have more than one job. I got a some podcast that day too. Screw call. off and oh, get off oh, my lawn okay. with that crap. Right. Get out of right. here. Well, wait. Where are you going to do your podcast? Right. You doing your podcast? If we're going to do it at the Hall of Fame, I'll be at the Hall of Fame. If we're going to do it in the freaking library, I'm going to do it in the library. Whatever, wherever oh, Mike says, we're go, doing the show. <laughs> are you going to go to the stadium and then back? to the hotel and then back to the stadium and back to it's fine it's your your i'm not going to tell you how to spend oh thanks otherwise useful time thanks work dad but i'll do it i've said i'll do it all right i'd rather be work dad than work wife okay i've said i'll do it okay i've said i'll do it if you want to do it if you're because you're 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 very into this concept even if i'm going to lose sleep over it literally and even if i'm going to lose productive time over it i'll do it if it makes you happy all right, that's a good start. Look at that. Look at you being, you know, all, you know, bendable and we can work and work things out and talk to you. Well, who are you? What what'd you do with Mike Florio over this break? Jeez, that was that was, well, was pretty good for sarcastic. you. Sarcastic. You're showing growth as a human being. <laughs> you show you're yeah. being sarcastic. Uh, yeah. <laughs> all right. I haven't had this hitch in a while. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, get it, get it, get it. Okay. Get it good. Let's get to it. Right. The uh, the the Colts uh, advantage Jonathan Taylor <laughs> right? based on the news that came out of practice on Monday, and this is part of that. Just we're constantly on guard for wherever lightning can strike, and for the guys who tend to get hit in practice, not quarterbacks, but everyone else, you can get injured. And when you're the guy that plays the position where you always get hit from every possible direction and you run into the line of scrimmage, yeah, there's a chance something's going to happen. Zach Moss, Colts running back, guy that you mentioned yesterday as an alternative to Jonathan Taylor, guy that they traded for with the Bills during the 2022 season. Broken arm, expected to miss about six weeks. So, you know, and hey, injuries happen in training camp. It's part of the process of getting the body ready. We've talked about how the 
2011 CBA potentially lays the foundation for more injuries during the season because the guys aren't properly prepared for the physical Agreed. toll of practicing and playing in season. It's a little too easy in August, so when it gets real in September, you're not truly ready for it. But that process of getting the body ready exposes the body to a broken arm, which is now what Zach Moss is going to be recovering from, Chris. Six weeks and uh, advantage Jonathan Taylor and situation between him and the Colts. More awkward, not less awkward after that one. Yeah, more awkward, right? It's like, you know, the lightning strike of karma almost right there on Jonathan Taylor's side after the last week and all the talk and the conversations with Jim Ursay and the tweets and all of that. Like, yeah, advantage Jonathan Taylor, like you're saying, but like, I don't know, does it change anything? I don't know if it changes anything. It's going to make them realize how important he is. It's going to, lo- you know, raise their level of awareness there a little bit about, bam, we need him out here. Zach Moss was the second best thing we had going. Now we're into no nameville in our running back room and guys that are we really going to trust and are we really going to trust this, you know, this, this inexperienced guy next to our inexperienced quarterback who's learning the game too. So they're going to see the value or at least feel the value of Jonathan Taylor. But at at the same time, Mike, right? I don't know if it really helps Jonathan Taylor. It helps them realize, or it helps in the fact that they realize how important he is. But I, I mean, it lessens his chance of being traded now that that's where it's a little weird. It's like, Hey, wait, Man, we wish you were back. We're a lot better when you're here. And, man, our other guy's hurt. But, wow, now we definitely can't trade you because the other guy's hurt and you're stuck here. So a little odd that way. But, uh, again, I don't think there's anybody in that locker room or a coach that doesn't realize or, or understand how important Jonathan Taylor is. It's about the money in the front office and does that all meet ends or ends meet there. And, and you know, they're not right now for the front office of the Colts. Other names I see on the current roster, Xavier Scott, Deion Jackson, Evan Hull, Jake Funk. And obviously we're waiting for Jonathan Taylor to be cleared from the physically unable to perform list. And remember the latest move on this chessboard that has been threatened by the Colts is to change the pup list designation to non-football injury because of some back problem that – the Colts or someone connected to the Colts leaked to a couple of reporters. Yeah. Jonathan Taylor has. He denies that he has a back issue. Here's Shane Steichen, the new head coach of the Indianapolis Colts, who surely would have preferred to be focusing on other things as he becomes a coach for the first time in his life, talking about Jonathan Taylor's health situation and when and if he'll be back at practice. What does Jonathan Taylor have? What's that? What does Taylor have? He's just dealing with some right now, and I'm going to refrain from getting into all that. Shane, as you guys plan, are you expecting JT to play this year for you? Yeah, right now he's on this football team. He's on this football team, and when the medical staff clears him, he should be out here. And Shane Steichen looks like somebody, and I can't figure out who it is. That's going to bother me. That's going to bother me. Zach Braff? Yeah. Zach Braff, the yeah, guy the from actor? Scrubs? Yeah, right. It could kind be. Of, There's some of that of, there. Yeah. Kind of. There's some. I see that, oh, too. There's somebody else, he looks though. like that. He looks like that other guy, too, that was an actor and has the podcast. Uh, Dak Shepard. Dak Shepard. He's Dak yeah, Shepard with yeah. darker hair. That's what yeah. I kind of see, too. The that's demeanor, the one. Right. The demeanor. It is. The voice and the demeanor. When you add that to the look, that's what. That's the, the vibe that he gives off. Anyway, these are all. you come to this show for the most important high-level analysis. So, the Taylor situation lingers, and Steichen said nothing. No. Everybody wants to know, is it his ankle, which is covered, 
as a football injury because it dates back to last year. If it's the back, technically it isn't, even if he was injured while working out to get ready for camp. But here's the core of the problem. And I've tried to allude to this both in items I posted at PFT, and I posted a tweet about this yesterday. And we've seen the the Colts have a history of doing this. Look, this is not a new phenomenon where business decisions are made about the running back position. And the reality is business decisions are made about every position. But there is a a romanticism about the running back position. There's a myth about it. It's NFL film stuff, right? It's Jim Brown. It's Franco Harris. It's all the great running backs of the past. It's a, it's a, an important position from the pr- perspective of the fans. Yeah. But from the perspective of the team, when you're talking about business, business is business. And I think what they'd like to do with John Taylor, Jonathan Taylor, if they could do it, if they could pull it off, have him for four years, tag him once, tag him twice, and let him go and replace him. Just like they did with Edger and James. Hall of Famer Edger and James finished his rookie contract. They tagged him once. They let him go. They drafted Joseph Adai, and they won the Super Bowl. And that was just the way it was. Marshall yeah. Falk. Marshall Falk. Five, six years with the team. Trade him. Draft Edger and James. That's the that lather, rinse, uh, rinse, repeat. And that's how it goes. You get a running back. He becomes a star. He hangs around, but you never give him the big payday. You give the big payday to the quarterbacks, the receivers, the pass rushers, the corners. Those are the four positions that have surplus value, as we talked about last week. That's where the the value comes from giving them extra money significantly over and above what the average player makes. And with running back, you find one, he's good, but you know there's a shelf life. And you're going to let him go, and you're going to get another one. And then when that one, four, five, six, seven years, let him go, get another one. And and that's and Jonathan Taylor sees it coming, so he's trying to do something about it now. But they're not going to do anything about it now because no. that was probably their plan when they drafted him. We'll keep him for four years. If he's great, we'll tag him once. If he plays well that year, we'll tag him again. And then it's bye-bye, Jonathan Taylor. We'll go draft somebody else in round two. Yeah, no, I think, well, again, that gets in back into your conversation and, and what you kind of said yesterday where running backs got to really, after the third year, just go, no, nah, I need a new contract when they know they're good or they're a significant part of the offense. I do. I, I think that's going to have to happen. You know, we can get back into the conversation again of, you know, why didn't Jonathan Taylor make a big, bigger deal about this early on in the offseason? I don't understand that. That is very odd to me. And he could have really probably got his way or got some things figured out a little more, you know, to his liking if he dove into this situation in early March. I don't understand that. You know, you make the point about the running back thing. You're exactly right. Hey, running back's the most important position on the football field at every level except for really the NFL. And, of course, I know college we can make it, but college you can sit there and look and go, hey, I don't know, it's close still. You know, but the NFL, because of the quarterbacks, the receivers, there's no, you know, time constraints on practice and how many plays you can put in and all that. Yeah, the NFL has found ways to skirt the traditional ways the running back needs to get yards or or the offense gets yards through the running back. We talked about that. The reverses, the screens, the speed sweeps, you know, all of that stuff. Uh, the, The pick plays to the receivers, the tight ends, all of that. That's all you know, uh, something that takes yards away from the running back. So that's where it's tough for them, and I feel for them there. But, you know, with this situation here, I don't know what the end game is. I mean, I, I th- yeah, Mike, I mean, you're right. Everybody in the NFL is a three- or four-year rental for the most part, especially running back. 
right? And the good ones right now go to the what you're talking about, where it's like, hell, wait, well, they want to franchise them once or twice and then get rid of them. That's what they want. We've seen you know, teams like Shanahan, they draft a, the 49ers, they draft a running back almost every other year. We've seen the Patriots do kind of the same thing because it's by committee. No one wants to pay for it. But the Colts are a run-first football team. Jonathan Taylor is the best player on their offense. They have a rookie quarterback where we know they're not going to dice people up in the pass game in year one with him and live that way. So he does have great value to what they want to do. But like you said, it's too late in the game, and that's where I just don't understand, and I don't know if there's anything that can be really done at this point for for, uh, Jonathan Taylor. And, you know, I said – he should have held out. I said it the moment Jim Irsay posted his yeah, tweet I know you did. last yeah. Wednesday, delving into the whole running back conversation. And here's the problem. This goes back 30, 40, 50 years. In the 70s, the NFL realized one way to become even more popular than it was was embrace offense, embrace the passing game. The rule changes began to make it easier for receivers to get open, to make it easier for quarterbacks to stay upright and healthy long enough to get them the football. That made the game more exciting. Then fantasy football comes along, and as the running back begins to diminish in significance as the passing game opens up, fantasy football makes the running back at least the ones currently on the teams doing what they're doing, they become more important because those great ones, that handful of great ones that is always in the NFL, is rushing for 15, 16, 1,700 yards and scoring 15, 17, 20 touchdowns. So the, the, the interest in fantasy football, which has helped fuel the overall interest in the NFL, has made the running back position seem more important in the eyes of fans because most fans play. I don't know what the numbers are, but I would say, you know, I mean – a high percentage of fans play in at least one league. It's fun. It's a way to connect with friends and family, et cetera. But, but that defies the way teams view the running backs, and that's where it's all kind of come to a head. It's amazing it took as long as it did for it to really come to a head because this dynamic is not new. Treating the running back as a chew-them-up, spit-them-out position, and that's what it is. We're going we're to draft this guy. We have the rights to him for four years. We're going to use him up. And if he still has a lot left in the tank, we'll tag him. And if he still has anything left in the tank, we'll tag him again. And then it's see you later. And that's just the way the business goes. And that's why Jonathan Taylor should have been making business decisions. Now, I don't know if he didn't want to risk having to pay $40,000 a day. It would have been waivable because he's on his first contract. Right. Second contract with the Colts, it wouldn't be. But you know, Why not March, and, and though? Have you where, ever heard anything there? Like, oh, why, I, I, why I haven't. Yeah, I, I mean either. No. Because that's the time to really agitate. That's the time. And it's even before March, you know, because. Yeah, you put it on the radar at the uh, end of the season. Exactly. Right. You put it, you know, when you put it on the radar, Chris, you put it on the radar after he has 1,811 yards rushing and 20 total touchdowns in his second season. Hey, Colts. Hey, Colts. The window doesn't open on a new contract until with Jonathan Taylor until the end of his third regular season. But I want to start this conversation now. I want to lay this foundation now because I want that contract done before the offseason program begins on his third season. The ankle injury screwed things up. I think the ankle injury took away from some of the natural leverage he'd have. If he'd had 2,000 rushing yards last year, it's a lot easier. Just like Christian McCaffrey. He had 1,000 yards rushing, 1,000 yards receiving in his third season. Third guy in NFL history to do it. 
laid the foundation for the Panthers to just throw the money at him. He didn't have to hold out. He didn't miss a thing. They gave him $16 million a year. So I, I think the point is you have to have a plan that is activated as early as possible and ready to be implemented when that third season ends. And look, I mean, hey, I'm going to boycott the offseason program while you're recovering from ankle surgery, so what? See, that's part of the problem. The ankle injury that required surgery yeah, after sure. the season threw a wrench in, I would assume, whatever plan he had, and it caused there to be no real plan other than let's get healthy and then we'll see where we are. Yeah, I, I think you're, you're, you're probably right about that. He didn't feel like he had solid grand, ground to stand on, right, with the ankles. Let's see where it is. Let's see how healthy or how long it takes to get healthy. You know, yeah, it, that, that's, that's a tough spot here. It is. Now, like the Colts, where I just pose the question as, you know, a fan or somebody one like, you know, I mean, what 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 is Jonathan Taylor's worth to their football team here a little bit? I mean, Jonathan Taylor's going into year four. He rushed for a thousand yards in year one, eighteen hundred yards in year two, was on his way to a thousand yards and had the ankle injury and kind of dealing with that through a, a good portion of the year last year, right? He's a physical freak and a physical specimen. He is. I mean, is he in their long-term plans at all? That That's what I wonder. And I guess by, by the answers they're giving us right now, no, or or they want to wait and see and see what happens during this year. I know he had a lot of carries at Wisconsin, so he's been in the car, a lot of car crashes there as well. Is that on their radar? Do they think his body is going to continue to fall apart here, right? You know, to me... Uh, and, and I'm just throwing this out there, and I know I'm not trying to tell the Colts how to run their business here, too, but like Jonathan Taylor, a little bit, I think, has a little of that Saquon aspect that I brought up, Mike, too, where, you know, he, I don't see the end of the road here next year or the year after that quite yet. You know, not yet. This is a physical specimen who is arguably, you know, you could say he's, he's one of the fastest running backs in football when you get him out in the open. I don't think he's hit that wall yet. And I just can't we find a way to, you know, give him a two-year extension with a nice signing bonus or something like that. If you feel like he's got some wear and tear left on his tires, I guess that's what I'm a little surprised about in some of these situations, especially with a team like the Colts, where it feels like the run game is going to be, you know, priority number one for their football team. Two things. Two yeah. things. One, this gets back to something you were saying yesterday. Yeah. And you got to consider Jonathan Taylor's mindset right. right now. When he suffered that ankle injury last year, remember, there, he has never missed a practice in yeah. his football right. career. He'd never missed a game. He wants to get back and reestablish himself. It's a pride thing. It's a, I want to show everybody that I've overcome this injury. I have to go play. They use it against yeah, them. I know. The love of the game, the desire to compete, that thirst to create a legacy for yourself and and be a star NFL player. They use that against you. It's a privilege to play in the NFL. That's all part of the grift that's done to get the players to show up, even if they're not happy with their contract situation. And look back to the Colts' history. And the one common denominator through all of it is Jim Irsay. Yeah. They had Marshall Falk, yeah. Hall of Famer, one of the all-time greats. Once they traded him, they became a perennial playoff team. Before they traded him, they weren't. They trade him. They got Peyton Manning, perennial playoff team. Then they have Edger and James. James, perennial playoff team. They let him walk away in free agency, and they win a Super Bowl the next year. So play this out. 
Year four for Jonathan Taylor. No long-term contract. Tag him once or twice. Anthony Richardson becomes the guy they expect him to be. Very easy explanation. Well, our offense is transformed from passing to running. Or, or hey, everybody's focused on Anthony Richardson, who's become exactly the superstar we thought he was going to be. We can, we can throw a rock and hit a running back and put that guy in place of Jonathan Taylor. We don't need to pay a guy a bunch of money at running back when the guy who makes our offense go is a quarterback, just like Peyton Manning was, and just like Andrew Luck was. They didn't sure. have a great running back during that period of time that Andrew Luck was the centerpiece of their offense. So, so I think the way that it dovetails, Chris, by the time they've decided we've got all we need out of Jonathan Taylor and he can go play for some other team, Anthony Richardson becomes the the guy that is their offense. Yeah, I, I yeah, I, I hear you. I mean, I, I would agree. That's that's the master plan, right? I mean, I I hear that. I know that. But I, I you know, with Anthony Richardson, it isn't Andrew Luck or Peyton Manning. This is a guy that like we all know, and you know, we talked about a lot in the draft process. Like he's raw. There's gonna be some. It's gonna take some time. They're gonna have to ride he his. Is. You got Jonathan Taylor for three uh, years. Yeah, I know. Well, th- I know that's that's what's crazy, and that's where we get into the conversation again, too. Of you know, Jonathan Taylor's got to make things really uncomfortable for them this year, and continue to make it uncomfortable for them coming down the stretch here of training camp and everything else. There, that's the only thing he can do. It is. You know, I get back to almost like my pitch count theory that I talked about with Saquon Barkley, where right? he might have to do that and play hardball. Up, oh, no coach up. Man, shoulders sore. It's been 19 carries today. I only got one more carry. I know it's halfway through the third quarter, but I only got one more carry. My shoulder really hurts today. I, I mean, I don't know. That, that's where I don't get it. He is the focal point of the football team. He is a guy that, yeah, it, it's, you know, like we always talk about, these running backs, physical freaks, but with all the contact and things you've described so well, getting hit through the line of scrimmage, picking up blitzes and all that, they got a short period of time here to strike. They got to make it happen. And and this is where I get into, yeah, I think they're going to have to play dirty and get it a little bit, you know, out of the business ethics conversation, as they say. <laughs> but, Chris, Chris, I, I know. think that's why. Yeah, they can't they do it. They drop this turd into the punch bowl on Sunday about possibly moving him to NFL. That's what I was saying they're yesterday, seeing, right? Yeah. They're seeing what could be coming from Jonathan Taylor so they're going to play hardball before he can play hardball. And this goes back to that, that I think, not good advice J.C. Treader gave to the running backs that yeah. you should basically embellish an injury. I can't say fake injuries, right. but wink, wink, nod, nod, ha, ha. And because that's going to put all teams on guard when they've got a running back that may be unhappy. Hey, is this guy really unable to play? Is he really at the point where he needs to come out? Or is this just part of his way of pushing back against us and playing hardball with us? And at some point, if you get this back and forth, hardball this and hardball that, the next thing you have is a Terrell Owens situation from 2005 with the Eagles, where eventually the guy gets suspended for conduct detrimental to the team. I mean, that's how this plays out. If you just keep going back and forth, hardball one way, hardball the other way, and guys are having their character questioned, and maybe guys are doing questionable things that would allow the team to suggest that maybe they're really not giving it their all. That's just, it's a bad road for both sides to start down. And, and, And that's where I think they're hoping, from Jonathan Taylor's perspective, Chris Ballard 
reverts to we want guys who want to be here because it can go off the rails if you have a star player that doesn't want to be there and you force him to be there when he doesn't want to be. Yeah, but, you know, at the same time, I know they, yeah, they want, you know, they want volunteers, not hostages and all that. But what does that mean? I mean, do you think that that increases chances of being traded? You know, that, that, that's not going to – this is where it's effed up, the whole conversation. And it's not even the Colts I'm talking about here. But, you know, the, the, one, they're not going to trade him from anything because they know, oh, no, this is the kind of guy that could go somewhere and rush for 1,800 yards and make us look silly, right? So they're not going to do that right now. And they're not most likely burying like a crazy injury around the NFL, not going to get anything that they look at as valuable enough to make that trade happen, let alone like we talked about, you know, the other thing that he's crushed with, and, and we hit this yesterday, is, you know, a lot of teams got money and their contracts already figured out, right? They don't have money allotted to, oh, wait, now we got a headache with a running back who wants money and we got to figure all that out. So uh, that's where I'm intrigued or interested or I don't know where this goes in this whole combo. Right now, if the Colts said, okay, fine, Jonathan, you go out and you know, do, they do a Deshaun Watson thing. You find team, one, two, three, or four of them, that is willing to come to the table and try to persuade you to go play for them. We have a minimum requirement of a trade package like the Texans did with Watson. And then, you know, they can bid against each other, whatever, they'll figure it out. I don't know how many teams are coming to the table. How many teams are coming to the table with anything close to what the Colts exactly. would want? Exactly. Right. And anything close to what Taylor would want. That's why we keep harping on the idea this should have happened in March right. before the budgets are burned through, before the depth charts are set, before the plans are made. And, I mean, really, think about it. Run, run in your brain through the 32 teams. Who right now would say, we're in for a second-round pick that maybe becomes a first-round pick based on performance this year? and a contract worth 13, 14, 15, 16 million a year. Yeah, we're just going to go find that money now even though we already have our players lined up for this year and contracts locked in, factored into the cap this year, next year, the year after. Yeah, we're just going to jam another guy into that on the fly that we had no idea was going to be available. I just don't think there's a team out there no. that would even begin to do it for what the Colts would want, exactly. and what Taylor would want. I mean, right. If you can name your price as a team, you'd be like, hell yeah, we'll take Jonathan Taylor. Right. But it ain't that simple. No, exactly You'd right. take him at his $4.3 million salary plus the ability to tag him next year and the year after, but that's not what you're getting him for. You're getting him for what he wants, and I don't think anybody at this point of the year is going to be in a position to pay him what he wants. That's, that's why he's kind of in checkmate on this yeah. board before the game even starts. Right, and he, it is. It's, it, it kind of is, seems like checkmate. It does, I, you know, and again, I don't know where he can go from here. He's in a tough spot. He really is. There's no doubt about it. You know, and that's where, like, you know, again, like, let me throw this out there. If if you're the Colts, right, and you go, wait, we still think this guy's got a year or two after this left really good. Would you consider, I mean, do you think Jonathan Taylor would take a maybe, oh, hey, here's a contract, a pretty good signing bonus. Yeah, it's not a $14 million a year average. In fact, it's just a little chunk of money you're going to get right now, and it's going to help, you know, maybe we'll get an extra year on the contract and spread out the, the blow of, of what it, it, how it hits us in the salary cap. You know, do you think a running back like Jonathan Taylor would take something like that? I'm just throwing it out there for food for thought or talking points here. Well it all falls back to the rights that the teams have 
under the collective bargaining agreement. And we know that the Colts have the right to tag Jonathan Taylor for 2024 and 2025. By 26, it becomes quarterback money, and no team is going to pay a running back quarterback money, so they, they can tag him twice as a practical matter. So I think the most the Colts would do at this point is sign him to a contract now that guarantees him this year's pay, next year's tag, and the 20% raise that he'll be entitled to over next year's tag. Now, we don't know what next year's tag is yet. Yeah. It depends on the salary right. cap. But that's the most they would do. Why would they do any more than that? No, even I that agree is with that. They have to do. Right now, they, they have the, the luxury of year to year. If, if you're going to take on the injury risk for three years of a player, the last player you're taking the injury risk for three years for is a running back. No, I know. Because he's the guy most likely to get injured. Yeah. So no, I, that's, yeah. Look, at what, look at what Saquon Barkley ultimately had to do. Right. He didn't like it. We didn't like it. Nobody liked it other than the Giants because the CBA allowed them to do what they did. They squat on his rights for $10.1 million, And at the end of the day, he gets a little sweetener. He's got to have a pretty damn good year to get any of the sugar from this sweetener. But, you know, he's still basically playing for $10.1 the franchise tag number, which has gone down over the past few years because the market's gone down, and that's just what it is. That's the broader deal that all running backs are caught up in. That's why I keep coming back to this, this basic premise. When you are emerging as a stellar young athlete and – and you're so dominant relative to your peers that it looks like you may have a career beyond high school and beyond college, quit playing running back, A-S-A-F-P, because that's not where the money's going to be and that's not where you're going to have a long career in the NFL. No, that, that, that's the truth. And, you know, I think we are slowly but surely seeing that, that trend happen in front of us. But, Mike, I mean, I'm with you there. If I'm the Colts, of course I don't. Now, with that same formula, I'm saying if they offered him less than the franchise for next year and the franchise after that, right, do you think he would take it? That's where I'm saying some of these running backs at some point are going to have to go, wait, the, the, I just got to take what I can get. That, that's what I was trying to throw out there for food for thought. Yeah, oh, you're, yeah, yeah, you know, like if you're the yeah. Colts, I'm with you. You don't do anything more than that. I'm saying if you're the Colts, if you offered less than that, with the state of the running back market, one of these running backs is going to have to start to go, you know what, I just got to get mine right now and get it and the hell with what I think the market should pay me and all that crap. And I just, you know, I wonder if you dangle something out there like that in front of a Jonathan Taylor, would he take it? And that's an argument we've made in the past, too. You put that offer on the table and the player knows the risk that he Right. Experiences every single day. He knows it can all go away. And Jonathan Taylor right now would be vulnerable to that because he saw it last year. Exactly. You go from thinking that you're indestructible on the football field to missing six games with an ankle injury when you'd never had an injury before. Maybe he would be. Now, his agent may tell him not to do it, but, but you know, there's, there's always value when you're negotiating with somebody and one side's got the money and the other side doesn't. Boy, there's always value in putting some money out there and seeing what they do because sometimes they will. They will jump. Sometimes they'll take the bird in the hand, even if it means getting less than they could have gotten down the road. Yeah. We've seen teams do that. That's I look at like Trayvon Diggs and what he did with the Cowboys. It feels like it was that. It was like, whoa, you'll give me this right now? Okay, I'll take it. You know, I think if he waited or held out a little, you know, held out a little on this, that price tag would have gone up. They offered him something now. He said, damn, I'm going to get that money in my pocket now. I'll deal with whatever the market is three years from now, three years from now. 
You know, uh, yeah. I, I, and, and the Cowboys have great flexibility under that deal. We broke it down over the weekend. It's two years, seventeen million, and a little beyond that right. per year. And right. After two years, the Cowboys can tear it up. So there like you they go. did with Amari Cooper. Right. Remember when Amari Cooper signed a five-year, one hundred million dollar contract? Now the Cowboys didn't tear it up, but they would have if they wouldn't have gotten a sixth-round pick from the Cleveland Browns. Which means the Cowboys completely misread what was happening in the receiver market. But they were ready after two years and $40 million to rip up the final three and the remaining 60 on the $100 million. So they may do that to Trayvon Diggs in two years or end up trading him for a low-round pick to another team that will take up the rest of that, that contract. Yeah. So uh, that is a real dynamic. And, and look, look, all this discussion, everything that's going on with Jonathan Taylor, it comes back to the point that I like to make from time to time. Football is business. At its core, football is business, especially for the teams. Yeah, that's because right. Because for the teams, teams that are around year after year, decade after decade, they do this all the time. Yep. There's going to be a Marshall Falk, an Edger and James, a Jonathan Taylor. There's going to be another guy and another guy. And you have strategies and you have procedures and you've learned from experience what you should and shouldn't do. And the players are treated like commodities in that perspective. They, they are interchangeable parts on a giant football machine, and they ultimately will be removed and replaced with someone else. The question is when, where, and how. But they're viewed that way. So how cheap can we buy this part to our football machine? And I hate to put it that bluntly, but that's how they look at yeah, it. Right. We've got a bunch of different pieces on our football machine. And there's one specific piece that's pretty damn important, but it ain't that expensive. Why are we going to overpay for this piece that's pretty damn important, but it's not very expensive? Why are we going to pay that much for this piece that's running very well right now, but we know we can get another one without having to pay very much at all? That's what the mindset is. That's the disconnect between the human beings that play this very visceral, raw, emotional sport and the cold, calculating analytics yeah, of, right. oh, we don't have to pay we don't have to pay fifteen million a year for that piece. We can go get we can go get another piece just no, like it. I know. Not you know, not quite not platinum coated, but you know, just as good, just as functional for uh you know, one sixteenth of that price. That's how they look at it. That's yeah. what they do. That's how these teams are constructed, folks. They don't want us to to expose that to you because it it takes away some of the a lure of the sport when you view it totally as a business, but that's what they're doing. That's how it works. No, that's why these yeah. decisions are being made. No, I'm with you there. You're right. I mean, it's, it's a crazy thing about it. You know, and that's where I think, you know, the NFL PA and the next CBA is going to be, have to be something done there. Maybe a little to help running back, protect them to a degree, but it's a tough one. And I totally understand the, the business side of it and the team side of it. It, it totally makes sense. Hey, the running backs, you know, within their own selves, they, kill their own arguments a lot of the time. Yeah, Austin Eckler wants, you know, more run money for the running backs. Yeah, but you're a prime example of why you don't. You're an undrafted starter. You can find another one, to Mike Florio's point, right? There you go. Oh, oh, hey, well, no, there's Tony Pollard. Hey, he's franchise. Oh, we found him in the mid-round. That's right. Oh, wait, how about the top running backs in the sport right now and how they're being paid? Well, we paid Alvin Kamara, you know, $16 million a year. Well, ever since they paid him, he hasn't been able to play or do anything. He's rushing for 400 yards a year. 
hurts the running back's argument. Christian McCaffrey, let's not forget and have such like, you know, recent memory here. Everybody was saying that was a horrible contract. And oh my gosh, it was horrible. And he hasn't played or done anything. He got traded to the, one of the best teams in football could open up holes for him. And all of a sudden say, Oh, what a great trade. That's great. Oh, look at Christian McCaffrey, you know, Derrick Henry, top running back in football. Oh, it's foot injury missed half the year. So, you know, within arguing for themselves, it's, it's there, there's baked in arguments against themselves right there. That, that is just crazy. And it's, it's crazy that the freakiest people on the football team can't get paid right now, but you know, you laid it out and that's the way it is right now in the NFL. Remember the union and the league can come to any agreements they want at any time. They don't have to wait for the current CBA to end. And I've argued that the only way to get the NFL's attention would be for the running backs to organize and implement a mass boycott of off-season workouts in 2024. It won't be easy. It probably won't work. I, I doubt that it would work, but it's the only way to do it. That gets the NFL's attention. They create the Chris Sims running back fund based upon your performance so you get more money as you go. If Jim Irsay's tweet from last week is indicative of the thinking of his peers, they're not going to even consider any of this until it's time to go back to the table roughly eight, nine, ten years from now. So, Chris, here's the bottom line. By the time that this is back on the front burner to negotiate what they're going to do with running backs, that's more than enough time for all those kids out there to play a different position. <laughs> that's the ultimate cure. Really? Really? I mean, if you're going to ultimately be a piece in the football machine, you better find a way to make yourself a piece that is more rare and more valuable than the piece that, that is so valuable. That's the great disconnect. It's ridiculously valuable at youth football because you just give him the ball and exactly. off he goes. Nobody right. can touch him. Nobody right. can tackle him. He's the guy. He's the running back. And then in high school, hey, give him the ball. Off exactly. he goes. Hey, helps me stay in the job as the coach of the team. I keep giving the best athletes the football. And then he's a running back. And then he goes to college and he's a running back. At some point, you got to get off that ride and you have about 10 years. For the young players out there now, you got about 8, 9, 10 years to get off that ride of running back and use those skills for something else. But even then, even then, what percentage of those guys are going to make it to the NFL anyway? I mean, I, I hate to think that a bunch of great players who could have very rewarding high school and college careers give up playing running back also that they can play a different position in the NFL where they're never going to get there anyway. That's the other side of this. I hate to think that all the running backs are going to stop playing running back at every level of the sport because they think they're going to the NFL. Because we know that the percentage is very small, yeah, no. even for the great players out there that we see in high school and college. I know we got another subject to hit on, but yeah, there's only one I know of. And we're Jer going to take a break. Okay, cool. Jabril Peppers, right? Jabril Peppers. Here, I'll throw that's one out that, that did that. Jabril Peppers was the best running back in New Jersey, right? And he made a conscious effort and decision during high school to go, eh, no. I'm going to focus and play safety and be a secondary player and cornerback and do all of that. And he got away from running back because of the things you're talking about. He was smart enough to realize that he could have a longer career doing something else. And yeah, I mean, you know, not everybody's going to go to the NFL, but you know, certain guys do have a feel for like, wait, I'm freaky or I'm, I'm on a different level than the rest of these high school kids. Yeah. They might have to start thinking about that decision you're, you're putting out there. It's a business decision. Yep. No different than the business decisions the Colts and the other teams will make about you when you come to the NFL. Make your business decisions accordingly. Make them early. And if you've got the skills, if you're truly confident, it's not just delusion and all your friends and family telling you how great you are. If you truly have the skills 
to get to the NFL, it's in your best interest to get away from the running back position. All right, uh, we're going to take a break. When we return, some news out of the AFC West and some comments from Patrick Mahomes about the struggle he faces on getting paid fairly versus having enough money left for his teammates. We'll discuss that next on this Tuesday edition of PFT Live. 